Welcome to the Double Dissolutionists. My name is Dom Knight, and we are very excited to be launching today our 2019 election coverage. It's going to be a long but satisfying run-up. Andrew <laughs> Street is my co-host. Hello, Andrew. Well, look, you know, it's, it's great to start it. I mean, I, I feel it's very American to uh, to to begin our, uh, our 2019 election coverage now. In fact, you know, I think we could be double American and sort of start now for the, the 2022 election as well, which I assume is, are we getting up to the point where the lesbian cyborg is uh, is in control of Australia as per Pauline Hanson's The Truth? Because uh, if so, I, I, you know, look, I, I've, I know I've got a number of, of preferred lesbian cyborgs who I would like to see. Uh, Rule, ruling our proud nation. I bet you do. I think. I think twenty twenty two is going to be. Isn't that going to be Pauline Hanson versus George Christensen? That's that's my tip. Um, <laughs> now, Andrew, before we get into the podcast proper and introduce our guest, Mark Humphreys, uh, a little bit of pluggage to do. Someone's written a book, haven't they? They they have they have many someone's have written many books over the course of uh, the, the course of human endeavour. It's a oh, take it's the a, plug. Come an, on, an art form. <laughs> Oh, all right, fine. Yes, my book, The Curious Story of Malcolm Turnbull, The Incredible Shrinking Man in the Top Hat, is on shelves today. And I, I know that it is literally on shelves today because, like a, a child, I went to several bookstores to see if it was there. And it was at Glee Books in Glebe in a large pile where I was really excited. And then I went, well, clearly they haven't sold out yet. So then I felt sad. But um, you know, it, it is unlikely that they were going to shift thirty copies of the thing in, you know, by quarter past eleven or whenever it was. But still, nonetheless, it is out. It is. It's being launched on Wednesday at Better Red Than Dead in Newtown for any listeners who are in the inner west and on Wednesday and fancy some wine because I'm pretty sure there's going to be wine there. They they know how to lure me places, and uh, it's being emceed by a. Uh, a, a chap named uh, Dom, Dominic Knigget, I think it's pronounced. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, some 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 dude. Deeply flattering, if... but also reflecting a potential lack of uh, imagination. Whichever whichever it is, I'm very happy to be there. It's going to be a great evening. <laughs> uh, we also have a live podcast record in honour of said book, Thursday the 24th of November at Giant Dwarf. That's the plugging all done. It's all about Andrew's stuff. But that's good. Uh, things we're talking about today, Andrew, and there's kind of one topic on the table, isn't there? There really is. It's it's the plebiscite. And the debate continues as Attorney General George Brandis insists that if Labor refuses to budge on the enabling legislation, that's the end of same-sex marriage for the foreseeable future. And Pauline Hanson has insisted that if gay people are so gosh darn determined to be married, they can just leave Australia and go back to uh, gaytopia, presumably. Is that an ice block? Anyway, uh, those Labor coalition negotiations are pretty essential. It's the only way the plebiscite can actually pass, apparently. Uh, but both sides say that uh, the other turn up to the meeting with no plan and no compromise on the table. So it seems to be a little old stalemate unless they get together and uh, have some team-building exercises. Who, Andrew, I wonder, will, uh, will be volunteering to catch Senator George Brandis during a trust fall? Look, I... I- I, I think it would be very dangerous to have too many uh, trust fall related exercises. I think they should uh, they, they should blindfold and build a teepee. I think that's 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 the other thing that they always seem to have in sitcoms whenever they have these kind of 
like sleepaway camps for grown-ups. But mm. anyway, it's more, a more likely a teepee than a TPV. But anyway, um, yes. <laughs> well, it's pretty much the only topic that's happening because uh, the uh, parliament doesn't sit for another couple of weeks. And uh, already we're seeing bits of that sober and respectful debate that has been promised by the no camp uh, with the estate of Nelson Mandela objecting to the use of his picture and quotation being used on a pamphlet from Children's Future, an anti-marriage equality group founded by members of the New South Wales Liberals, all of which raises the question, which unauthorised, out-of-context quote will they go with instead? Martin Luther King, I think, Andrew. Um, also, uh, just bubbling away in the background, another expenses Scandal, it transpires that WAMP Steve Irons charged flights to the taxpayer in order to attend his own wedding, which I wish I'd thought of last year. Uh, and look, to be fair, he was attending an official engagement of Steve Irons. Boom! Anyway, to comment on these and many other matters from SBS 2's The Feed and part of the writing department of The Chaser, uh, which seems it's most prolific at the moment, Mark Humphreys is here. Hello, Mark. Hello, gents. How are you? Oh, look, I can't complain. Good. I haven't written a book for, for years now, but Andrew P. Street is killing it. He's got an article out today oh. as well. It's just madness. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it all. And he's got a kid on the way. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but so last time we discussed this, you do too. I'm not falling into that trap again of being the, no, uh, the is, odd one out. True. Can I just say something quickly about the book situation you've said about going in and seeing your own book? I, of course, uh, co-wrote The Chasers Australia, which is available from all good bookstores and some bad ones. And uh, at my local bookstore, <laughs> can you believe they're charging $10 above the RRP? That's going straight to I don't get a cent. I don't get a cent of that. I looked at it. I didn't know what to, didn't know what to say. I was so embarrassed. I don't know for myself and for them. And anyway, <laughs> not such a small business. Yeah, look, it's it that uh, it's a fabulous book. I had nothing to do with it except receiving an email saying, "I'll let you know when we start writing it." And then next year I knew it was out. Anyway, it's um, it's very very good indeed. <laughs> I, I can acknowledge through my uh, fog of fog of resentment. Um, now the, the plebiscite <laughs> seems to be just about all that's on the table. Um, and what a beautiful coming together it was of both parties to try and compromise. It worked so well on the Omnibus Savings Bill. They got together and, and hammered out a deal, recognising that working together was the least worst option, as it probably will be frequently during this parliament. But, Andrew, uh, look, it, it sounds as though uh, both sides accusing the other of stuffing up the conversation. Yeah, it's uh, it, there, there was a, a typically uh, almost characteristically resentful press conference from George Brandis earlier today where he was explaining that uh, he had sat down with <clears throat> with his colleague Scott Ryan uh, to meet with uh, with Mark Dreyfus, the uh, the shadow attorney general, and and really hammer out what it was that uh, that it would take for Labor to compromise. And apparently, according to to Brandis, uh, Labor basically sat there staring at him and saying nothing, which is an interesting take on it, <laughs> given that Dreyfus's. Uh, version of events is very very similar but with the names reversed uh both are, are insisting that they they came to the table in good faith and with an absolute determination to uh to to, to find a, a middle ground and that the other side wouldn't tell them anything is which it... is a colorfully playful <laughs> childish way of, of doing negotiation i'm sick of people's voices being silenced 
silenced in this debate. <laughs> We're, silence. We need to change the laws. I, I think, um, Mark, you're, you're right on this. Is it just one of those situations where, you know, like if you're at a party and you don't immediately introduce yourself to someone when like they enter the circle and then you just end up never really saying hello to that person and you're in the same spaces. That's how I imagine it. They, they just sort of didn't quite time the intros right and then they never really acknowledged that the other person Oops. was in the room and they just sort of, just looking at the clock, just like, look, we set aside an hour for this. We're just going to set it out. And, <laughs> and then away they went. Oh man, I'd love to. Th- I'd love to think it was one yeah, hour of silence. Tags. I, I reckon it was both. Both of them just sitting, sitting there, waiting for the other to do a welcome to country, and they were just kind of like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to. I don't want to jump in. I don't want to be the one who, you know, I don't want to look insensitive about oh, this. But you know, I mean, that's probably it. It's just, sounds like it was just a respect. It sounds like it was a school dance or something. You had all the all the girls <laughs> on one side, all the guys on the other, and, and never the. Never the two shall meet. Gosh, Andrew, welcome to Country Mature. You sent him on 2GB for a brief interview, and suddenly that, that's what he's talking about. <laughs> Look, um, from, from what I gather, though, reading between the the, the, uh, the lines, the conversation basically went, so let's have a plebiscite. No, no, what about a free parliamentary vote? No, a plebiscite. Mm, pretty sure we can just do it with a free vote. And repeat until until end. Well, I mean, Dreyfus is saying that they they went in saying that they want the the question changed, and no funding for either side, no 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 uh, public funding for like publicity campaigns for the yes and no camp. And, they want to bind it. They, yeah, they yeah. want it, they want it to be binding. Oh yeah, and they and yeah. they want the thing to be binding. Yeah. And apparently, like from, from again from what Dreyfus says, the uh, none of those things were, were were kind of on the table as far as as Brandis was concerned. Now, what Brandis says is they came in saying, well, what do you want? And Dreyfus refused to give them any any areas of compromise. So it seems like at least one party, if not every single person remotely connected with this, is not entirely characterizing matters oh. as they happened. But um, it does seem like like the this is going to be a very pointless debate if if they're already establishing that the only areas of compromise are ones that are not possible. Look, sometimes for in life, um, sometimes in life, sometimes in the parliamentary process as well, there are some issues that are so difficult that it's not really possible for two sides to resolve something. You can't actually just make a decision. You can't go to the numbers or anything like that. In that situation, the, the sensible thing to do is to go to a plebiscite. So maybe if we were to have a plebiscite on what the compromise should be, on the plebiscite, mm, mm, then we can mm. make some progress on this thing. Well, as long as it was non-binding, I think that's important. I think it's very important to 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 make as many large-scale public votes as expensive and as non-binding as possible. Because that way, that way, you can then have a, a, a third plebiscite on whether to uh, acknowledge the result of the previous plebiscite. And I think you know, if we can just keep that rolling on and on. Because this is, this is plebiscepsin here. At least then, too, you'd have money for the yes and no cases. They don't actually have to work out some sort of argument we could look at objectively. Um, it does seem as if we are essentially curling up time and space around ourselves in a way that increasingly doesn't make sense, and, and we may be dreaming. Uh, George Brand has said today that there was no, uh, potentially no chance of resolving this until 2020. So... It's kind of it's kind of hard to know what the government wants to do when the government 
doesn't want to make the decision, though, isn't it? Oh, no, no. Well, I was, I was just going to recycle a joke, actually, from, from uh, my column today, because the, the, the one thing that uh, the brand has said, which I which really kind of hit, sort of gave me pause was when he said, now is the only feasible, the, the, sorry, the, the, the plebiscite is now the only feasible path to that outcome being same-sex marriage for many years to come. And, um, <clears throat> and again, to recycle the joke, that's exactly as accurate as a dentist claiming the only way to access a tooth that needs filling is to enter via the rectum. It requires ignoring an obvious and straightforward technique in favor of one that's unnecessarily messy, painful, time-consuming, and legally dubious. And I, I stand by that. <laughs> Ow! Ow! Um, the mental image of that, particularly given the members of the uh, the federal parliament potentially performing said procedure, I just I I can't even respond to that, Andrew. <laughs> Look, I think you know if you give George Christensen some pliers and uh, and. You know, a good forty-five minutes. A, a drill. Yeah, look, I, I, I reckon we can see some real progress on unavoidable murder. Look, we should mention that that uh, Alice Workman, our guest last time, gave a, a full-throated and spirited defence of what a lovely bloke George Christensen is. He's an ornament to the Parliament, as she says, and you have to go back to the last episode to hear about why that was. But it was a fascinating revelation. Look, Mark, what do we do here? We we've essentially. We seem to have hit an intransigent point fairly early in this whole issue. Is the is the only resolution to wait until twenty twenty, or the next Labor government that has a majority in in both houses, if they haven't yet um, been taken over by the right wing unions again, as they were under Julia Gillard? Well, I took that twenty twenty comment to to mean that Brandis has already put money down that they're going to lose the next election, um, <laughs> and so, which I thought was a bit. A bit ominous. Uh, so either either that's what he's predicting, or that George Christensen will be uh, disposed of in that in, in that time and and will release the the government from the stranglehold he, he has over them. Um, I look, I'm starting to wonder. That's when Bernardi whether... is going to pounce. Oh right, yeah, when he gets back from New York with all this uh, new wisdom. Um, the I'm starting to <laughs> worry whether this thing could end up being Labor's ETS moment. I don't, I don't like. Because I've, you know, I, I, I've agreed with that idea that the plebiscite is unnecessary and expensive and divisive and what have you, but we are at that point now where the government clearly isn't going to budge. And do we just, sorry, not we, but do they, should they just settle at this point? I don't know. Is it, is it better in the long run to, um, to, to go with it? I don't know what the answer is. But, but like, you know, the Greens, as I say, with the, with the ETS, that's something that sort of still hangs over them. Uh, that they had the chance back in whenever that was. Was that 2010? Um, yeah. So I just, do you guys think this could be that that moment? Well, I don't think anything because I currently work for the National Broadcast. Of course, so, yes. So um, I, I, merely, I merely observe goings on and, and make Ryob's observations. So I should have said I that I that's what I do too, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so really Andrew's the only person with an opinion, opinion in the room. So this ah! podcast is going to be fascinating for all. But I look, I'll just point out, we, meant, we mentioned last time also the, the analogy with the Republic, where, you, where there's some, a majority in favour of a thing, and I don't think I don't think that's controversial to say. I think the polls are very clear, and arguments about process and not getting again with the ETS, some might say, um, arguments about not having the absolute optimum policy solution mean that nothing happens, and that's happened so often that the right uh, could now legitimately consider that as um, a tactic that mm. that seems to be working 
Um, and and I, mean, I, I know Andrew's been on the record before with, with objections to the process, but I, I keep wondering if it will really be as bad as, as people say, if the upshot for same-sex marriage supporters who are worried about the, the vote and the um, arguments that might be made, if the upshot is a national endorsement and the issue being resolved in, in its favour, which seems to me um, the most likely outcome if the polls are true, especially if Labor gets its way on the compromises. There wouldn't be funding for the arguments. It would be automatic, so there would be none of this business of um, saying, oh, but my electorate is against it, and it would it would get done. Andrew, what do you think of the, um, the, the compromise proposal that we were discussing before? Is that something that you think would be a good idea to vote on, bearing in mind that it's still $160 million? Well, I mean, the, the question for Labor is, is do they want to be blamed for it not happening or do they want to be blamed for it happening? Because this is essentially the choice that they're going to be given uh, if there is any compromise. And I think they would be smart. Look, I, I think the plebiscite is a terrible idea. I think it's, it's, it's risky and I think it's unnecessarily expensive and I think it's constitutionally dubious. But the, I think that if there was some compromise on making it binding and removing the funding for the yes and no camps, like I think they're going to be forced to support it in those cases because there's not really an a, a way forward to go. Well, we've asked for these compromises and we've gotten them, and also still no. I mean that that would seem terribly terribly childish. So I think it really it's going to be a matter of both sides kind of trying to force the other into saying no. Like I, I think that's probably politically the way forward because I don't believe that anybody wants it to happen. I don't, I, I think that the, you know, moderates within the liberal party don't want it to happen because they think it's wasteful and, and unnecessary. Right wingers in the don't want it to happen because it might work. Uh, Labor don't want it to happen because, you know, all the reasons that they have expressed, uh, obviously, uh, Nick Xenophon team are against it. The Greens are against it. Uh, a lot of the marriage equality groups are against it. it. It's really sort of, you know, for for something that's that's still looking fairly likely, it's an enormously unpopular policy f- for nobody to like. And well, except except isn't the, the the aren't the polls broadly in favour of it? Um, at least until I mean, as Alice said last time, until you start pointing out some of the objections. I think they're in favour of same-sex marriage, but they're not necessarily in favour of the plebiscite. That, that's the, the, the one of the big questions, I mean, particularly given that this is a, uh, as you pointed out, this is a, a very successful tactic for preventing progress on things like the Republic. And, you know, it's working a treat with um, Indigenous recognition in the Constitution as well. I mean, the, the, the thing of of having an argument about what the process is going to be in order to split the uh, those in favour is a is a tactic with a, a a long and lustrous history. So, one of the things that might be interesting with this is if the plebiscite is confirmed, if all of the pro groups can kind of snap into action uh, and support it and support a, a strong yes campaign, from you know even without public funding, I think that's probably going to make the difference that being said i mean today there was a report saying that there's only one electorate that is unambiguously against marriage equality so you know it it does seem awfully like if it happens it will probably pass which again makes it harder and harder for labor to say no to it 
I wonder if we take a sort of longer term view and if you if you imagine a few a few years down the path assuming that a plebiscite goes ahead and is and and the um uh, and same-sex marriage comes into effect how will we look back on this period and i think that we will not really remember the four months of oh god why are we going through this yes and no argument and yeah i don't think we'll i think we'll forget about the money and that and that period i think ultimately the memory will be that the people made their decision and they got to and also i think that the, the people making the decision ultimately works against the government i think because the government made it so hard that i think ultimately voting for it in the plebiscite is the ultimate fuck you to the government that's the only way that sort of the people can win in this circumstance mm. but yeah anyway i don't know if that makes any sense but if you if you think about how we'll look back on this process will we remember this four months of turmoil and, and expense or will we remember the ultimately positive outcome you know versus and this is a horribly morbid way to think of it but just think about the number of couples that could god i don't even know if we should say it on this podcast because it's not remotely funny but the the number of people who will die the number of same-sex couples that will die between now and let's say 2020 Mm. without getting to have you know because we've seen stories on the news about couples who are desperate to 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 get married and some of them are you know towards the end of their lives for those people, maybe we just uh, – it's easy for me to say this as a, as a straight person, but maybe we just kind of have to just get through these four months for the sake of those people. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a absolutely legit uh, point to make. And my, my my biggest concern, though, is the is the effect – again, you know, it's easy to say this being a straight dude, but to have sort of months of – of what we're already getting, to be honest. I mean, like, I, I think, I think now the 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 arguments about what happens if we have a horribly divisive public debate with people weighing in on the value or otherwise of people's parents and and relationships and friends and and so on and so forth. I mean, we're already getting that. Well, this has been another point I've been making f- for ages and on this podcast too. And how much more intense does the rhetoric get than it's been for many years? I mean, it's been on every Q and A since the program, pretty much. Um, came up it's you know hurt uh, hurtful things have been said for a very long time uh you've had i mean Corey bernardi was previously in trouble with with tony abbott for i mean it, for, for saying um <laughs> things that were problematic it, this keeps going on and the given that we've got the government we've got if they're determined that the only way to resolve it is for it to be a plebiscite um it seems that Labor has a very difficult decision to make because it certainly is a way of doing it. I'm, my cynical uh, part as well says that um, there's a bit of a dispute here over who's going to get to take credit for it, really. I mean, mm. um, given the, the it now seems to be viewed as somewhat inevitable, we saw that the Greens and Labor both trying to put up private members' bills, which were never going to get up except some through some weird notion whereby the government lost control of the floor again um which could very easily happen i mean like it was that is true this is that's not outside the realms of possibility but then malcolm turnbull now basically saying look it's let's get on and do it and 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 if it happened it would certainly be under his watch even though he wouldn't have he would have kind of flicked past the decision so Mm. i i don't think it is cut and dried that labor should um from the perspective of same-sex marriage supporters simply walk away from this because we know that um you know, with the Republic, everyone thought, oh, look, it'll, we'll do it again in a few years and get the model that we want. And mm. we haven't. It's It's been completely on ice since 1999. And, and how many people have died who 
wanted a republic in the meantime, you know. So, uh, but but this is a it's a, 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 a it's an issue where Australia lags behind the rest of the world now in terms of the countries that are, that are politically similar to us and culturally similar to us, and we've generally been on the forefront of of social reforms. If you look at um, the the voting reforms and all these kinds of things that happen here early on, how many years behind the rest of the, the English speaking um, former UK colony world, or do we want to be on this? Uh, the great irony is that if the plebiscite goes ahead and, and, and is passed, then in theory, in terms of like who who comes out, you know, as a winner in this sort of scenario, it's weirdly it might even be Tony Abbott because at the end of the day, he's the one that can say, "I said plebiscite, we made it happen." <laughs> you know, of all the people that could have that could take credit for it, it's the last guy you would uh, you would have expected. Oh my God! I'd like, I I just got a shiver then when I realised <laughs> that you know I mean I, I you know l- l- just gaming this out because my own feeling I mean I talk about this a little bit in, in <clears throat> talk about this a little bit in my book is um, <laughs> sorry Andrew if you if you got a book book <laughs> <laughs> anyway um, yeah so uh, isn't it, is it called the incredible shrinking title or something <laughs> sure now. Um, had Abbott handled the the whole question of same sex marriage differently, specifically when when there was the 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 joint legislation that was uh, co sponsored by Warren Inch, the LNP MP from Queensland, and uh, Terry Butler from Labor, the had had Abbott gone, all right, fine, we'll have a free vote on this. You know that that you know he had he had set up so many roadblocks to uh, to any possible legislation, and finally said, you know, this shouldn't be owned by any one party. This is a matter for Parliament. And then to have been faced with a multi a multi party bill in Parliament, he, if he had just gone, all right, fair enough, let's have a vote, it probably on the numbers wouldn't have gotten through then. But it would have said to the party, I respect my backbench. I I will take this seriously. You know, your voices are being heard, which was one of the great criticisms of of, of Abbott, and one of the mm. reasons why so much of the backbench uh, threw their support behind Turnbull. And also, it would have killed the issue. What was the delay between? It was two or three weeks, wasn't it? Between that, because um, I remember I was on on the on air the evening when it was all unfolding. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was very very and, quick, and he was out. I, I, there I went off to get married, and before I came back to the country, Malcolm Turnbull was the prime minister. <laughs> well, well, that's exactly. I mean, it, it was really the the kind of final straw because it was it was yet another. I mean, it it, it was yet another uh, piece of policy from the prime minister's office, not from not even from cabinet. It was presented to cabinet as an idea. It was uh, yet another example of the backbench being rolled, uh, of of there not being enough communication between the PMO and the, and the backbench, and it just kind of it 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 fueled the I think accurate narrative of Abbott not really caring about where the party was coming from and not and and very much you know making his captain captain's goals, and had he handled about that a month later, yeah, had he handled that differently, I don't think. He, I, I don't think there would have been nearly enough support for Turnbull to have uh, successfully challenged in September. So the the idea of Abbott then sort of retconning the situation as I am the man who successfully prosecuted same-sex marriage in Australia 
and then potentially using that as leverage on another leadership <laughs> challenge oh. would be hilarious. I think that's pretty wishful thinking. I mean, yeah, it, I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be incredibly funny. Tony Abbott is is a man who sticks sticks to his guns. We, we know that. If at the point where your sister wants to get married to her female partner and is pretty public about it and becomes a public figure and, in fact, a politician and is marching for same-sex marriage, if, if at that point you still stick to your guns and say, sorry, sis, but no, <laughs> uh, I think you can say with absolute certainty that Tony Abbott is a man of un- unshakable convictions on this particular issue, and I don't think anyone would for a moment believe that he felt otherwise. I mean, no one believed Julia Gillard when she said she opposed same-sex marriage, and guess what? We were right. Um, <laughs> and, and there's this whole overall problem of people not sticking to the things that we know they believe. And Malcolm Turnbull has had that same problem. When he became leader, he made a deal with the Nationals to, to retain their support. As we all know, that deal is private. And uh, since that moment, he has compromised on a lot of things that uh, we know he believes. Now, in one sense, he's doing what he's supposed to do in that he's it's, it's cabinet government and it's uh, keeping the backbenchers in line. But on, on another uh, analysis, it's hurt his personal brand because he's been so clear about his position. All those years of coming out and uh, essentially undermining Tony Abbott's positions on things, his view is is incredibly clear. And I think it hurts politicians in the public sphere when they sell out principles that we know they believe. It, it seems inauthentic, does it not? Oh, uh, absolutely. Andrew? Oh, one hundred percent. And and uh, it, it wasn't so much I was I was implying that uh, Abbott would suddenly turn around and say like. You know, yes, I am the hero of same-sex marriage. So much as that, he he's the man who gets things done through plebiscites. Well, unless they're budgets, I suppose. <laughs> um, all right, we should probably wrap this up because because uh, before we end up in the same sort of stalemate, uh, just finally, Mark, what do you think happens? For it? You you've outlined a case for Labor potentially getting it done. Um, how do you think this issue will play out? Do you think we'll still be arguing about this? in the 2019 election coverage we previewed at the start of the podcast or even in 2022? God, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I really don't know. I, 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 I'm sorry to, to, to not give a definitive answer, but I think, I think Bill Shorten's been – I don't know. I think he's too stubborn to step back from um, – I can't, I can't, I can't see it. I actually can't. There's no crystal ball that I can look into. I'm sorry. I really can't. I think it's a. They're in a dreadful position, and I can't think. Give me certainty, <laughs> or, or out of here, Humphreys. All right, they're going to back out. They're not going to do it. They're not going to. No, I know. I, I changed my mind. They're going with it. They're going to. They're going to go with it. I reckon they're going to go with it. I reckon they'll say for the greater good. Like, let's just get through these few months together, and for the greater good. Let's let's just get this done. That's it. Defend, that's the definitive, definitive answer. <laughs> they could bring the um, vote forward, couldn't they? Well, yeah, they could. I mean, it, it, I guess it just, it's just—it's a matter of when the um, when the AEC can can hold it. Like, I, I think that's probably the practical question. So, um, so, so, which? What's the date in February? Is the tenth or something? I think it's the eleventh off the top of my head, but I'd, I'd have to check that. Um, yeah, it's it's early. Okay, when's Mardi Gras? Because I've just got Mardi this Gras. notion. I've just got this notion of, of Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah, okay, so the 28th of February is Mardi Gras. And I reckon that's a factor in the timing. I reckon Malcolm Turnbull will be very happy to go to the parade and be like, hey! <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe. And Valentine's Day for that that's matter because exactly it's like three days later. So like the oh. whole, 
you know, so love it's the is month in the of air. love and indeed same sex yeah. love. John John Paul <laughs> right, Young is going to get a lot of work in that month. Um, that's another good yeah. point. We will all just have got um, had the Australia Day holiday and the hottest one hundred and th- that whole thing. <laughs> um, but also, it'll be the end of summer. Australia will be in a good mood yeah. on the, February the tenth or whatever it is. We, we will, as a nation, be on a bit of a high. I would say at that time. Well, yeah. well actually, interesting. interestingly enough, and and this is uh, the the for the reason of of uh, of Mardi Gras and Valentine, and I believe Valentine's Day. Um, Fred Nile wants the date moved. Like he specifically asked in in, uh, in New South Wales Parliament about two weeks ago that the uh, that the plebiscite not be held in February because he is worried that uh, you know it, people won't be sufficiently angry at gay people because of uh, Mardi Gras. It's very interesting. Arguably the wrong forum in which to raise that. But anyway, <laughs> interesting. All right. Look, I, I don't know. Let's just leave. Let Let's leave that. And we'll see how that develops. Um, we're almost out of time here on on the podcast. Let's just briefly talk about Steve Irons. Yet another wrinkle in the expenses imbroglio, which continues to... to uh, Imbrogue? Imbrogue. I guess until every single MP's um, books have been looked at in, <laughs> in, in great detail. Won't that be fun? Uh, Mark, do you think this is going to change anything? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. No, and this is part of the fun. <laughs> this is the, no, I mean, this is this, like, this headline. This is a beautiful headline. We just need to, we just need to read this headline. WA Liberal MP Steve Irons used taxpayer funds to attend his own wedding. It's just brilliant. I, I, <laughs> Are we clear on whether that was by helicopter? I mean, right. You don't want to put an end to that, Dom. It's like the, the comedy. Like for the comedy sake, we need to keep <laughs> we need to keep expenses murky <laughs> and mysterious. I hope he thanked I hope he thanked his sponsors in the uh, in the groom speech. <laughs> and thanks to the good people of Qantas. Yeah, look. <laughs> At least he didn't spend it on, you know, Sophie Mirabella's wedding. Uh, if you're gonna yeah. <laughs> That's true. This could this could continue. Maybe there are other MPs who attended his his wedding. Look, this is going to keep going for ages. And what fun scrutiny is generally generally a good thing. Well, look, we haven't resolved anything. I'm afraid to say in in today's installment <laughs> of the Double Dissolutionist. I was I was hoping we'd get out a plebiscite compromise ourselves. It seems not to have happened. So let me just do a quick roll call as we end our discussion. Uh, Andrew P Street, do you have a book? Yes, I do. It's it's out now. Mark Humphreys, have you got a book in stores too? I do. The Chasers Australia. Well, I don't. Who's got a child on the way? Andrew P. Street, have you got a, a kid coming? I, I have. I have. It's it's I've I've seen it push creepily against my 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 wife's body in in ways that I find both fascinating and uh, deeply disturbing. Possibly more information than I was after. Mark, um, have you got a child on the way as well? I do, and his name is The Chasers Australia. <laughs> <laughs> shit, that's what we were going to call us. <laughs> oh, shit, okay. That'll smash name. mouth. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I don't either. So I'll merely say uh, thank you, and I, I hate you. Both. <laughs> oh, much love, Dom. And uh, Mark Humphreys, we'll, we'll see you at bookshops everywhere on SBS 2's The Feed and um, anywhere that um, um, high-quality uh, political satire is produced by the sounds of things. That's right. Street corners, uh, the speakers, those speakers' corners in the, in the park or standing on a milk box. Yeah, uh, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's been wonderful having you on board. Anywhere uh, a man is yelling you. against it. <laughs> Yeah. A man is shaking I'll his fist there. against the universe. <laughs>
Um, Andrew, I'll catch you Wednesday night at Better Red Than Dead. You will. I'll be the tired-looking chap. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. And once again, the live event, the 24th of November at Giant Dwarf. Bye-bye.